ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to our second episode in the Tokens podcast. We are so delighted to have with us today, Neil Godfrey, who I'll let introduce herself in just a moment. I, of course, am Iris Ichishta, the co-founder and CEO of Cryptos and Kitties, and I'm here with Jeff Allen. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Happy Friday. So happy to have you as well. And Neil, delighted to see you in your amazing purple blazer, if you can call it that. I mean, I feel like I'm diminishing it by calling it a blazer because it's so amazing. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Well, Iris and Jeff, it is great to be here and we get to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And that is educating our kids to be financially responsible and giving them real financial tools so that they get to use them, they get to learn, they get to earn. And that's what I'm all about. And I was lucky enough to be able to actually start the topic of teaching kids about money in the 1980s when I went to look for books to teach my own kids about money and there were none. So my three-year-old daughter said, mommy, why don't you write the books? So mommy did. And I kicked off the topic in 1988 when I opened up the first children's bank, a real bank for kids at the toy store, FAO Schwartz in New York City, and an institute for youth entrepreneurship up in Harlem to bring our at-risk children into the economy. And I'm lucky enough to be able to morph into the new world of digital money. And Iris found me and here I am. I think I said something to the effect of we're creating the definitive platform for kids and families and you are the definitive voice in this industry. Let's do something together. I, and it was an instantaneous situation and I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have been able to kick off the topic and to be able to morph into gaming apps. And I'm working on my 29th book and financial literacy curricula that I kicked off in 1988. I serve millions of families and kids from the little ones all the way through adulthood. Because if we don't empower our next generation to take charge of their financial life, who is going to do it? And here we have the new world of digital money and Iris is out there with a stake in the ground, making sure that our next gen, our little ones grow up to be comfortable, to know how to earn, save, spend and share. And NFTs and tokens are the future, which is now. So I've got a question right off the bat. You seem... um so eager, right? Like uh, with this whole new wave of digital money, as you, as you talk about it, you seem like ready to embrace it right away. And I see around me for, with my parent friends, like a lot of reluctance 
to dip their toe into that water. So what is it that makes you so confident and primed and, and eager to jump into that space without that reluctance at all? Well, all currency is fiat, which means it's not the currency itself. It's just that a bunch of people got around and decided that it was worth something. And eons ago, we used things like pine cones and shells and other things where we in the tribes decided that this was currency and it was fiat. It didn't have any intrinsic value. And then we morphed into using currency that was backed by gold and silver. And we stamped the value on that. Again, it was about fiat. A bunch of people got together and decided, hey, it's worth something. And now we use bills and coins and a bunch of people got together and decided, hey, we're going to say that there's from some worth behind it. So our life is now built on this. And of course, we have the digital world. So of course, it makes sense that the new fiat currency is going to be digital. So it's just morphing into the next thing. It doesn't matter what it is. It matters that a bunch of people got together and decided, you know what? There is worth behind this. And why wouldn't we teach our kids, Jeff? Great. So you're saying that this is all just natural evolution of currency in general? Sure, because it's a way we communicate. And now we're communicating via um, digital world. And, uh, you know, later on, I think we're going to be doing brain to brain. And I think that we're not even going to have an intermediary. So then we have to decide what the new fiat currency is going to be when we do brain to brain. I hope I'm around to see it. And I think this is intuitive to parents who have the fiat dollar bill physical analogy that we project value onto something. But for a kid who's entirely new to this space, how do we explain to them cryptocurrency? Well, I think what we have to do is tell a story because kids like stories. And we have to start from the beginning that the way people got things thousands and thousands of years ago is they barter. So, but I would have to figure out what you wanted. So I'd have to bring your, you know, my chickens so that you could drag your fish and we could barter. But if you didn't want my chickens and I didn't want your fish, I had to schlep them back home and that made it more difficult. So we decided to meet in the middle and form a market. And in the market, we still had a trade. And you know what? If I was really, really hungry and I was really thirsty and you had water, I would pay you a lot for that because the value would go up. But if I came and you had water and I was not thirsty, there was no value. And you know what? It got to be too hard, Iris. So somebody decided, I'm going to stamp that with a value. And now all of a sudden, there was a value placed on it. And people decided, you know what? We don't have to take our stuff to barter. We can place a value and we can have something called currency. We can use that to buy this stuff. How cool is that? That's how the first markets were formed. Our kids will understand that story. It makes sense. They see it every day. We bring money. We say that money has a value and go find the price tag on that. And they can see the price tag. So they get it. And then we invented coins and bills. And we can tell the stories as to how come there were coins and bills. And there were coins and bills because 
We fast forward the kids to Robin Hood's time. They all know Robin Hood. And he was able to steal from the rich, to give it to the poor. How come? Because the rich couldn't lock their homes. They had to take their stuff with them. So they put their gold and silver in wagons. So Robin Hood and the guys hung out. And by the way, they looked great in tights, which is really important. And they were hanging out in the woods. And they could tell who the rich people were because they had wagons with all their stuff in it. So Robin Hood was able to steal. And the rich guys said, you know what? I don't want to be that conspicuous. I want to lock this stuff away. I can't lock it away in the home. But who had a safe? Only two places. King and queen. Don't want to keep it with them because they steal from people. But the goldsmith, the jeweler in town had a safe. Aha! He was a townsman. I'll leave it with him and he'll give me a little receipt. And that little receipt said that Iris deposited so many pounds of gold and silver in the safe. And that little receipt became money. So I didn't have to go and take all my stuff. I could go to the next village, take that little receipt and buy something with it. Then that person, then Jeff, if if Iris bought something from Jeff, he could go back to the goldsmith and get his money out. So that became the first bank. Kids get it. So take the kids to a bank and explain it to them. That's all. They get it. It's a place to keep money safe so you don't have to take it all over the place. Okay, I get it. And then let mom and dad show the kids how they bank online, how they bank with their phone, how they can even deposit a check via their phone. Kids get it. Kids are way more digital than we are. And you know what? It is digital money for them. It is the world of that. Why wouldn't it make sense to them? But start at the beginning as to why we even have money. I don't want them to think that money, that digital money is just a game. It's not. It's real. It does have value and it allows you to buy stuff. And that's what it is. And kids know what pictures are. They watch their favorite characters. They know who they love. Why wouldn't they want to own a digital picture of that character? It makes sense to them. They get it. That's all it is. Totally intuitive for our our digital native kids. And I remember from our first conversations how important it was to you that we be dealing with real world value because that's how kids learn to engage with, who guessed, the real world. I've been, my uh, oldest, my eight-year-old loves to play video games on his iPad. And in some of these uh, video game ecosystems, they have their own, uh, you know, native currencies like Robux, you've probably heard of in the Roblox platform. And I've been struggling to try to teach him like financial lessons while sitting next to him as he's playing a game because he'll try to spend these Robux on things within the gaming system. Some things have more value than others, and I'm trying to help him to understand what is a productive thing to buy or a good use of your Robux versus like this skin that isn't going to help your gameplay at all, but you might look cool wearing it for a day or two until it goes out of style. And I'm trying to insert myself into the conversation that way and relate it to something, but I'm I'm not sure if it's working or not, and I'm not sure that that's the right approach or not. What do you think? Don't do that. All right. You know, I'm very directive. Okay. Don't do that. 
The thing about value is that he has to earn the money, set up a chore system within the household, and he has to do chores to earn the money to buy what he wants. Don't go into the game and say, you know, this is smart or this isn't smart. That's not the point. If it's worth it to you to earn the money, to spend it, to do that, go ahead. It's the same thing with the designer jeans. We used to have the, you know, the fight with our kids about designer jeans. I don't care. If it's worth it to you to work 10 weeks to get the designer jeans, go ahead. If it's worth it to you to work five hours to get the extra money to go buy the sons within the, the, the game, fine. But unless he earns it and he can identify with the amount of time it took to earn the money, there's no value. You've just given him money, and which also supports the entitlement program. And you can imagine how I feel about that. So that's all you have to do. Let him earn the money. Great advice. Thank you. I mean, I'm guessing that this extends into a gaming environment where you can, let's say, learn or you know, engage with a brand that you love in a meaningful way. And if you amass enough value, whether it's points or, or maybe even NFTs, that there's still that lesson, this idea that I've, I've earned this, there was an equivalent amount of effort put into earning this, and then I can choose to do with that as I will, whether it's to, you know, collect additional digital collectibles or to engage further in a game. It's about making sure that you connect the value and the effort into what it, whatever it is it translates to once you've converted it into something ownable. Absolutely. What I like to do is start with them, though, in real life, because not all chores are gaming within a gaming app, which is like fun stuff. So I start with the stuff that isn't that fun because life is also not always that fun. So then they understand the value of their own work and then they can go in and game and earn more and spend. I do separate the gaming world from the real world because then I'd like to live in the gaming world. That's cool. I'd like to do that. I like, you know, like figure out how not to do chores. So I want them to know the real world and how that works. I mean, my whole program is welcome to planet earth. It's not all gaming and that's cool. And gaming is awesome. And NFTs are awesome, but they also have to live on planet earth. But I find that that line is getting more and more blurred every day. And to do what you're saying is getting harder and harder to do. I find that what I'm encountering is that my kid's persona or avatar in that gaming environment is building so much equity in his mind that he's ha he's having a hard time distinguishing which is more valuable, the me here in the real world versus my avatar in that Roblox universe. So I really am struggling to, to, to like uh, attack that issue. Well, it's hard and it's hard in the digital age. I mean, we don't want our kids walking around the world with their headsets on and, and never have to deal in the real world. I mean, and, and that's the whole world of digital connection. 
you know, saying to the people I'm talking, I'm having a conversation when you're actually texting to somebody and there is no personal interaction. No, you're actually not talking, but you are texting and it's a means of communication, but it's not actually anything that needs EQ. It's not building those communication skills. So as parents, we have to mix the skills. They need to be digital savvy, absolutely, or they'll never be able to work in the in the real world in terms of the digital world. And it's moving and morphing so quickly. Anything you learn today will have nothing to do with anything they're going to learn in two or three years. But they also need interpersonal skills. We still are human beings. We want them to be able to talk to each other in real life and to pick up that sensitivity and to face read and to really understand that level of human consideration, communication, interaction. So we need to balance it. So that's why a lot of parents say, okay, get off, you know, get off the phone. We're done. We're done for today. Now we're going to actually do something called talking. It's a concept. It is. And it's such a bad, it's such a hard balance to strike, right? We all want to be so sensitive to screen time and how much time kids are spending on their applications. And for me, that just means, okay, how do I make that screen time that they do get work for me or work for them, right? How do we make it valuable, productive, edifying, and engaging? It's always going to be a balancing act. And we've had it with every generation. I mean, think about when the telephone came in and, you know, because pre-telephone, people actually had interaction with each other and not that much. And they wrote letters to each other. And then, you know, the phone was, came into being and people sat there on the phone. And as a teenager, you know, my parents used to tease me that it was actually growing into my head and that I couldn't function. And we had phones with cords on them. Can you imagine? So, you know, so every generation faces that and we just have to deal with it. And it was, you can talk on the phone for a certain amount of time. It's the same thing with the screen. You can play, you know, console games came in before we really had the, the, uh, you know, digital games on the phone. So it was, you can have so much console time and then you actually have to go outside and play and playtime is not on your phone. You have to exercise, you have to move, you have to jump up and down and that's just it. And we are always going to have that as parents. It's a universal transgenerational balance that families are continuously trying to strike. And what's interesting is that, you know, this is a a truly intergenerational type of experience that we're trying to create, right? That we we really see as being um, something that can involve, you know, when you talk about your parents limiting your phone time, we're talking about, you know, grandparents and parents and kids and, you know, this really interesting intergenerational experience that's all kind of dealing with and grappling with the evolution in DeFi and Web3 together all at once, basically, you know, at the advent or the early part of this industry. Absolutely. I'd love that you brought that in because it's multi-generational, it's intergenerational. And what's really cool is that we, the older generations, can learn from the kids because they can actually do it faster. They actually have no fear. I'm always afraid that it's going to get dumped or I'm going to lose it or it's going to go away or something's going to happen. And it's so fun to see these kids navigate. 
And so I can learn from them. They can learn from me also. And one of the things is that so many parents have heard the words NFT and heard the words about tokens and heard the words about coin and don't know what it is. So they are going to learn along with their kids and they need the words to be able to not only understand, but talk to their kids about it. And we're on the cusp of Web3. None of us really know what that is. We know that it's sort of the black hole that's going to happen. But if anyone sits there and says, oh, this is what it is, we don't know what it is and it's going to keep morphing. It's going to happen in our lifetime, but we don't know. And again, in 50 years, when we look back on this, we're going to go, oh, remember the time that we were on a phone and we had to carry this thing around? Remember the days that we had something called a bank? Remember when we had, it's going to all change. We just have to not be afraid of it. Make it intergenerational, exactly what you're saying, Iris, and learn from each other and learn to embrace what's going to happen that's new. How do you define or describe what an NFT is to people that may ask you? Well, if it's an older generation, the way I describe it is um, everything is digital in today's world. Wouldn't it be cool to own a digital piece of art or video or something that was really special and that you would get to own it? Then the next question is, well, if it's digital, uh, I could, any, everyone owns it. Then I say, okie dokie. Have you ever been to the Louvre? Never see the Mona Lisa? guess what? It is reproduced more than probably anything known to mankind. There are posters, there are rings, there are t-shirts, there's all that stuff. But guess who owns the Mona Lisa, the Louvre? And you know what? You can reproduce it as much as you want, knock yourself out. But if you want to own it, there's only one place that does. You get to be the Louvre and own that digital picture. You can do anything you want with it. And Everyone can see that you own it. How cool is that? And everyone can see what you paid for it because I don't know what they paid for the Mona Lisa. I don't know, but I'd like to know. And if they sell it, I'd like to know what they sold it for. That would be cool. And I'd like to be able to track that. And that's what this world does. Does that make sense? Is that a decent explanation? Totally. Really easy to grasp uh, that I'm going to use it. I'm going to reuse that one. Okay. <laughs> and I think it's important to identify the audience, right? You know how to speak to a generation that understands the Mona Lisa. And it's a different kind of explanation to a kid. Or maybe it's not even an explanation, you know, apropos to the point earlier that these digital native kids immediately understand what it is to have a digital identity and how important these different digital assets are to not only expressing that identity, but to building out that identity's world. Exactly. There's less of an, you know, of an explanation for a kid because the kid may not necessarily care about the blockchain part of it. You know, that there's a ledger and it's open. They're like, nah. do I get to own this really cool picture or this really cool video clip? Yeah. And it's yours and you can show people and it's cool and you can print it out and put it on your wall. doesn't matter. You still own it, but you get to sell it if you want. Okay, they get it. They don't have to know about blockchain. They don't have to know about transparency. They don't have to know about the ledger. They don't have to know about the wallets. They don't have to know that stuff. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because there's a lot of information for those who know just about, like there are a lot of people who are come entering this and entering into the space. They know enough just to get, you know, themselves in trouble. And then you can go really, really deep into it. And here we're a tech podcast, I guess. We're a, you know, DeFi crypto NFT podcast, but we're talking about the concepts from a perspective of those who are newly entering the space, right? We're not necessarily doing those deep technical dives. We're not breaking down the the constituent parts of the blockchain, but, you know, we still need to understand these principles, at least on a basic level, to start dipping our toe into the space and, and experiencing, experimenting in the space. And, and you need to be able to explain it to people in a very simplistic way, because if they get it, then they go, oh, okay, I get it. I can't tell you how many friends I have who are investing in NFTs and have absolutely no idea what they're doing or how it works. And it's great. Everyone can get through the first sentence and then they're stuck. So the more people understand, it would be like asking somebody who didn't know what a bank was to walk in and deposit your money. Wait a minute. I'm going to give these guys my money. What are you crazy? Why would I do that? Why would I? Well, wait a minute. They're going to use your money and they're going to make money on your money. What? They're using my money and they're making money on my money. And how do I know I'm going to get it back? I mean, think about it. It's just as crazy. Well, that is ridiculous. Why would I do that? Yeah, it does require a leap of faith. And it goes back to the whole financial literacy concept in the first place. Like, I gather um, that you, you're you in the school that it's never too early to start with financial literacy or to start learning about how uh, you know value works and, and currency works and how it serves us in society. And I'm, I'm wondering, like do kids get enough of this in school itself or is it really up to the parents to lead that charge and to ensure that their kid uh, gets it? I, I mean, I know that certainly at eight years old, my kid hasn't gotten anything close to financial literate in school. I know it's not part of the curricula. So what do, what do you do? What do you tell parents? Well, when I started the topic in, in the eighties, I went around and lobbied states begging begging. Um, it was ugly, but I was begging. Um, and I was on presidential task force and governor task force and all this other stuff. And I'm like, stop studying it. Just do it. Here's the problem. Our school system has not accepted financial literacy as part of core curricula. What does that mean? That means it doesn't have to be taught. There are only 17 states in the United States that mandate any teaching of financial literacy at all. And my state of New Jersey has decided in all their wisdom that the kids only have to take two and a half hours of financial literacy and it can be done second half of senior year. Now think about second half of senior year. How engaged were you in your school? So Here's the deal. That's why I talk to parents, grandparents. I talk to teachers in school. I talk to them after school and I engage everybody because you know what? And bring corporations in. We all have to raise financially responsible children. And by the way, it takes a village. So you need to do it at home. You need to do it at school, in your religious organization, businesses, whatever that is. 
because if we don't, we know what happens. And one out of every four women in the United States of America will retire into poverty. 78% of the people in the United States have to borrow to cover a $400 emergency. How have we done in terms of that? So full stop. I don't want to study it. We have to do it, but you have to give people real financial tools and you have to put training wheels on those financial vehicles. And that's exactly what Iris is doing. Her financial vehicle has training wheels on it. And I start the kids when they're teeny, when they say, I want, I want. Now we know that's actually two years old, but I give them a year off for good behavior. And I start at age three. Why? Because that's when they understand the concept of medium of exchange. A three-year-old will say to you, could I have money so I can go into that store and buy something? Then you know they're ready for the lessons. If they think you go into a store and you just take stuff, go back and do a little more on the lesson side. That's when they start connecting their environment. And by the way, Jeff, we teach kids a ton of stuff that they do not understand. We teach them how to brush their teeth. Do you think they understand oral hygiene at age three or two? They don't know. In fact, they get an extra set of teeth. I don't know who thought of that. I need an extra set of teeth. I'm just That's the point. We teach them to stop at a red light. Do you think they get that? But we will teach that. The big one is don't talk to strangers. Mm. What does that even mean? Mm. But, and psychologists think you have to say something 50,000 times before they understand. In my case, with my kids, it was about 100,000 times. (laughs) Then they started to realize, and that's the point. But if you don't start connecting real life in their environment, the way you get stuff is you earn the money for it. Mm. And I don't care what you call that money. That's how you get it. Wow. Three years old. I mean, you'd think, oh yeah, it's early, but no, in thinking about my my current three-year-old. Yeah. I mean, she just turned three, but she she understands the medium of exchange. I mean, she negotiates with me. I mean, maybe it's non non monetary necessarily, but she negotiates with me because if you know if she does this good behavior, she knows she gets a treaty, right? That's medium of exchange in a certain in a certain sense, right? And I think it's I, so. There's the idea that they need to be ready, right? But then there's also no magic bullet. It's not like you tell them one and done. This is something that you can you continue to iterate and reinforce. I mean, I think we are trying to iterate and reinforce through our, our strategies with, you know, engaging in our platform. And we've built those entirely around what you've defined as the pillars of financial literacy. And I know there's so much more to it, but I'm wondering if you could kind of summarize those for our listeners. Well, Again, I believe in earning, saving, spending, and sharing. So the deal is the way you get money is you earn it. There's no magic, anything. And what I do is the earning part within the family is an allowance system. And one of the things that as a parent we want is we want our kids to learn 
the life skills they are going to learn to run a household. Because you can't imagine how many kids don't understand how the groceries get there, don't understand how magically the house gets cleaned or clothes get washed, etc. So what I'm doing is dividing up chores and teaching them the way a real household works. So three-year-olds do three-year-old chores. And what you're doing is modeling the behavior with them. So you do it with them. So they're learning. This is how you take the little garbage cans. This is how we recycle. This is how we do three-year-old chores. And as they get older, they have more chores that they have to do. Do not ever let a teenager do your own laundry because everything will come out this big and pink. So just don't. That's a parenting tip. But beyond that, teach them how a household works. That's it. And then what you do is you are now going to teach them the budget. And a budget is a habit. Adults think it's an object of torture. It's not. You get to choose what you want and you've earned your money and you deserve to do that. However, there are rules. I get in now in the digital world, you're going to do it digitally, but I want you to do it in the very beginning to have them understand that this bill represents something that's digital. So they start to connect how that works. So you're going to pay them in cash. Okay, so follow-up question with regard to the allowance. It sounds like it should always be conditional. Uh, you earn the allowance for providing some sort of a you know value or a ta- doing a task. Um, so that probably tells the parent that just doles out the free allowance. That's not a good way to do it. It should be conditional. It, then it begs the question, is there a cap? Or if the child decides to be like super productive and like knock them all out, do you pay more? Great, great, great question. First of all, there are two types of chores within any household. Citizen of the household chores where they don't get paid. As a good citizen of the household, you do certain things. You go to bed on time, you wake up on time, you brush your teeth, you are polite to people, you clean your toys up because I don't want to keep, you know, falling over them. And by the way, if you don't, they get put into the Saturday box, which means that you don't get your toys back until Saturday. And Rhett on Oprah decided to explain to Oprah that, however, if you mess up on Friday, you get them back on Saturday, so it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> no, I wanted the yeah. audience, 30,000 people, to actually understand that. And I'll tell you what else he did. It was very interesting. Now, I, you have to do all your chores to get your money. And I'll tell you what he did on Oprah. And the deal is, is that the reward for citizen of the household is yay stickers. We're wonderful. We celebrate good behavior. We do not pay for good behavior. Now the allowance is done. You take in the beginning for clear plastic jars and you divide the money. That's what a budget is. It's a division of money. First jar is the charity jar. 10% comes off the top to go to people who are less fortunate. Could be animals, it could be whatever. Get the kid engaged in what they want. 10% off that. Then you take the remaining 90% divided into thirds. Next third is quick cash, instant gratification. They worked hard. They get to select something. You set the overall parameters if it's no chocolate or candy or whatever. They can't. But beyond that, let them make their decision. Next jar, 
you're pushing off instant gratification, and they're saving for something larger. So the little guys can only save for a week or two. The older ones can save for the iPad or the games or whatever they want. Last char, long-term savings, their future. Does a three-year-old understand long-term savings? Absolutely not. Does a 10-year-old understand the concept of long-term savings? Absolutely not. Do the adults in America understand the concept <laughs> of long-term saving? Absolutely not. So why wouldn't we just instill it? And that's it. That's the way it works. So as I said, they have to do all their work to get their pay. Rhett was seven years old, on with Oprah. He's going down. He's got his allowance chart and he's telling Oprah all the jobs that he has to do for the week. And he went down them and he started out by saying, Oprah, we have five cats and I have to feed the cats every day which, by the way, is enough explanation for Oprah Winfrey. I'm just saying. And he goes- How many cats do you have now, Neil? Three. I'm not the crazy cat lady. I mean, they do die off. But anyway, he says to Oprah, if I don't feed the cats every day, Oprah, they starve to death and then they die. And mom hates dead cats around the house. Thank you, Rhett. Thank you. So I received 2,300 letters from PETA members oh, around no. the country about the dead cats in my hand. There are no dead cats. Okay. So then he goes through all of his jobs that he has to do every single week. And he says, I'm seven years old and I get paid $7 a week, but I have to do all my jobs or I don't get paid. And Oprah interrupts this little seven-year-old screaming at him going, that's ridiculous. If you do some of your jobs, you should get some of your pay. That's crazy. That's absolutely wrong, says Oprah Winfrey to this little kid screaming at him. And I'm thinking, oh, man, he's going to be writing mommy dearest. There's there's a lot of psychiatry that's going to have to happen after this show. And Rhett stands there. The hand goes back on his hip and he goes, wait a minute, Oprah. That doesn't make sense, does it? You can't do part of your show. And just leave after the first commercial and expect to be paid part of the money that you thought you earned. <laughs> Don't you have to do your whole show, Oprah, to get all your money? You know how it works in real life. No work, no pay. Wow. So that's when I let him move back into the house. <laughs> after so I never taught him that. I didn't I discuss that. That wasn't part of the deal. And by the way, do the little ones start to understand this? Yes. Do you want another Rhett story about yes. charity? Yes. By the way, a, a fabulous right. upstanding citizen now, Rhett Godfrey. Yes, Rhett Godfrey's an upstanding citizen, except for the mustache. Um, <laughs> so the deal was with quick cash, the kids, my, my two were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do with it within parameters. I was a little liberal on the sugar routine. Okay. Okay. So we're living in New York. I was president of a, of a bank in New York and I would let the kids go in with their quick cash. So Rhett went in and he wanted to buy Tootsie Roll Pops for the week. So the deal is to let them figure out and let them count the change and let them 
you know, count the money and learn that part of it. So I'm sitting in the back of the little tiny bodega and watching him do this. And he's got his Tootsie Roll Pops and he's counting out his money. We're cool. He stands online and in front of him is a homeless woman. She had a little jar of, or a cup of money and one orange. And the one orange cost 33 cents. She dumped her coins on the, on the counter and the store owner counted them. She didn't have enough coins. So he said to her, put your coins back and put the orange back. Now, Rhett, little guy, is watching this whole thing. And he says, Mr. Five-Year-Old, excuse me, excuse me, to the woman. I would like to buy that orange for you, but I have to start all over again because I have to start counting. And so the woman got embarrassed and said, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't. And now everyone in the market is kind of stopped looking at him. And he goes, no, 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 no. I want to, to buy this for you. This is my quick cash. And she was still, no, 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 no. I work for a living. I'm five years old and I earn $5 a week. And I have this money for Tootsie Roll Pops, but I have to start over. I get to choose how I spend my quick cash. And so she said, no, no, no. And he goes, didn't you read my mother's book? Now she had not evidently, um, or not read all of it anyway. So he said, I'm doing this. I get to choose because I want to buy that orange for you because someday if I don't have food, there will be somebody there to buy it for me. Those are the rules. So I burst out in tears. All the women in the store burst out in tears. He went back. He started over and counted it out. Bought the orange, came back to me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. That was like amazing. That was it. And he goes, didn't you read your book? <laughs> it's the best in life. He goes, you're supposed to be proud of me when I do something to surprise you, not when I follow the rules. Wow. So that was it. So now he's 36. He does have a mustache. It's a problem. But anyway, um, and a social entrepreneur helping, you know, whatever. And my daughter, equally cool, a wellness um, entrepreneur and changing the world of wellness and making it accessible to everyone. So, yeah, you can pay it forward and you can teach these kids to do it. And they do get it. It just takes a while and they get it. And they're going to get NFTs and they're going to know this is going to be part of their world. And Iris is going to be setting up a situation where they can give to charity. And they will learn to earn, save, spend, share, have a ton of fun, but be responsible. And they love to feel grown up. Mm -hmm. Let them be grown ups. Really great story. And so it just seems it's just all that much more important to not only establish those habits, but just encourage them time over time over time. And then they yield just beautiful instances like that, where he's, he, he, he just so beautifully applied so many principles and learnings in a way that really affected not only, you know, that one person's life, but in the store, like just, it just, it's, it's really lovely. And then there's also a part of me that says, oh, you know, it's, that that this is the exception to the rule, you know, that, you know, this doesn't have to be the exception to the rule, right? This knowledge and, and an information can be available and we can reinforce it, 
you know, holistically, but it's not in this, we, ha we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Exactly. And we can do it and, and think of the impact that you can have. For sure. A huge ripple effect. And, and I think it's important for all parents to, you know, claim accountability for that education. Um, you know, it, it is our job as parents, first and foremost, to raise upstanding citizens, right? Productive members of society uh, of whom we can all be proud one day, you know, God willing. But that work starts early and it has to be consistent, just like brushing your teeth so your kids don't have to file chapter 11 on their, their first set of teeth. <laughs> right. No, of course. And and. That's and I and I totally agree with you, Jeff. And then, but then there's also like the the mom and me that like rises up in defensive parents or in defensive moms specifically, where it's like, wait, why is it on? Why is it on us? Like, don't, aren't we already dealing with parent as parents with managing our lives and our professional careers and our household and our kids' lives and you know, it seems like just an awful lot to put on parents. I mean, we, of course, we want to su support parents. We're trying to do that with, with tokens, but it doesn't seem a little unfair that so much is on the parents it's, itself, themselves. No, because you know what? We signed up for that, number one. And we, we, all you have to do is incorporate it into your daily life rather than don't worry about that. I'm putting it on my credit card. But by the way, it's a convenience. The bill comes in at the end of the month. Let me show it to you. Let me show you where the pizza went. Let me show you where this went. That's all. You're allowing them to understand how the world works. That's all. And by the way, I pay for it. That house, there's a mortgage. Let's talk about that. Every time you leave the refrigerator door open, which by the way, takes 30% of the electricity in the house, you're costing money. 30%. By the way, you use that water, you turn it on, 70% of the people in the world do not have clean water to drink. So you're not guilting them. You're just showing them the way the world works. And you're also teaching them gratitude and you're connecting them with real life. Why wouldn't you? Have you ever seen teenagers try to figure out a tip? In, <laughs> I mean, it's great. It could be a reality show all by itself. Show them. Here's the bill. Here it is. We have made money the biggest secret in any household. Who invented that? Stop it. Stop it. Show them. Get them involved. This is how it works. That I pay for. This is what the gardener, I pay the gardener. If you do it, you're not going to do as good a job. And I will pay you. But trust me, he or she comes with tools and all this other stuff. And I'm supplying that to you. And that's why I'm paying you less. And by the way, after they finish their allowance, Jeff, they can do odd jobs and earn as much as they want. But you do the allowance first. By the way, when they're doing an odd job, pay by the job and not by the hour because sweeping the walk otherwise will take seven years. So don't don't do that. Paid by the job, <laughs> not by the hour. There is no cap. Odd jobs are new extra. Parents, go get it. Work that allowance system and start your financial literacy as early as you can. I also uh, sum it up by saying money is a big, big deal, but we don't have to make it a big deal. Like we just have to incorporate it in our everyday lives and our everyday education. And that makes a ton of sense to me because I know that's the same approach that we take to 
like you were talking about, you know, physical hygiene and also the things that we're cautioning them about, like in terms of talking to strangers or, you know, um, what people are aren't allowed to do with your, your their body. Like those are aren't one and done conversations where you terrify a kid with this use of subject. These are subjects. These are subjects that you have discussions about time over time in a non big deal way, even though they're big deals. Absolutely. And the more they know about money, the more they're going to understand what money does and what money doesn't do. It doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't. It just means you have more money. Certain jobs pay certain things. Certain jobs pay something else. It's not the amount of money that makes you anything other than having more money. And it's a tool and it's not what you earn. It's how you save it and spend it and have it reflect your values. And the more conversation you have, they will not, not confuse net worth with self-worth, which is what you want them to have. And that's it. Boom. Drop the mic, Neil. Wow. Thank you I love so it. much. I've learned so much in this last hour. I just want to say I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for joining us and for sharing all of this with us. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. Thank I, you to what you guys are doing. We're so excited to bring you this podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. We hope that you subscribe to our podcast wherever you get podcasts, that you follow us on social distribution platforms, as Jeffrey likes to call them. Where can they find us, Jeff? Gug. Uh, to correct you, content distribution platforms, most people call them social media, but um, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, all, all those that apply in, in, your, in your little world, whichever ones you like, find us, we'll be there. Find us, we'll be there. We're going to continue to bring you this podcast. We're so excited to do it. Thank you again, Neil, and thank you to our listeners, and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.